Hey everybody, welcome to Sunday School Shorthand. So good to have you back here again. We're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 this week. Before we do that, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, this will be our last Sunday School of 2020. In 2021, on January the 10th, we will return and we're going to spend the entire winter in the book of Romans. So January, February, and March, we will be talking about that incredibly important letter, certainly one of the most important books in the New Testament, um, and we're going we're gonna to work through that. And so uh, we'll continue to do these videos and podcasts, uh, but also I encourage you to hop on uh, Sunday mornings at 10. You can either participate in person in the church, socially distanced and masked, of course, uh, or you can hop on uh, the Zoom on Sunday mornings and participate that way. Uh, we've got it all set up so that you can see the people in the room and participate uh, in any way you feel comfortable. So we'll do this and we'll do it live, but I, I really hope that everybody will take some time uh, and do that here in, in the coming months. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to break this up into three sections. Um, it's not that long. Uh, you can read along at home if you want to, but I'll read it to you. So let's go ahead and listen to 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 through 5. It starts with a prayer. Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us so that the word of the Lord may, be, may spread rapidly and be glorified everywhere, just as it is among you, and that we may be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that, you, that you are doing and will go on doing the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Okay, so uh, this is a request for prayer um, from Paul and his missionary team, uh, particularly, again, related to the issue of persecution. He says that we may be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Uh, so, again, a bit of kind of eschatological talk here, kind of with the bigger issues of the presence of evil uh, that Paul's delving into, and that is manifest, again, in persecution. Uh, the Thessalonians were persecuted. Paul, we know, was persecuted. Uh, it was not an easy time to be a Christian, and certainly a very difficult time if you didn't want to conform to what Rome wanted you to do. Um, so we've talked about this as we've gone through First and Second Thessalonians. We don't really need to rehash it a ton here, um, but we, we do need to remember the context here of persecution. So let's move on, because I really want to spend most of our, our time here talking about verses 6 through 15. Uh, let me grab my notes, which I forgot to get out. Uh, there they are, um, because we're going to need to read a couple things from, from this. So uh, first, let's read 6 through 15, and then we'll, we'll read uh, a little bit about it. So now we command you, beloved... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. 
Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. Take note of those who do not obey what we say in this letter, have nothing to do with them so that they may be ashamed. Do not regard them as enemies, but warn them as believers. So, um, okay, this is about idleness. It's about not working. Uh, what, what do we mean by that? What does Paul mean by that? Well, it's quite evident from his letters, from some of uh, the stories in Acts, even from some of the things that are written in the Gospels, that what you had in, within Christianity in its earliest days was a group of people who believed that Jesus' return was so imminent that they could literally just stop doing everything and wait for it. So they stopped working. They relied on the goodwill of the Christian community. Um, and we may even imagine that they didn't do much uh, even related to their faith outside of just sit around and kind of pray and wait, wait to go to church. So this was not uh, a good thing, according to Paul. So uh, Paul made sure that he was clear about this. I want to read to you uh, something from the Didache. The Didache is a first century Christian rule book, essentially. And here's what the Didache says about this. It's not, in, first of all, the Didache did not make the cut for the canon, for the Bible, but it was incredibly influential for early Christian communities. So when I read from it, you can assume that a lot of early Christians would have known about it and would have known what it said and how it echoed Paul here in 2 Thessalonians 3. No Christian shall live in idleness, but if anyone will not do so, that person is making Christ into a cheap trade. Watch out for such people. So again, you get this idea that you need to watch out for people that don't want to do anything. We are not called, no matter what we believe about Jesus, about the future, no matter what our hope in Jesus is and how that manifests itself, we don't really stop ever working during our lives. And I want you to think about that holistically. Think about that in terms of encompassing all aspects and all areas of your life. So you don't stop working your job, but you also don't stop with your spiritual practices. Uh, we don't say, okay, I've reached it. I've made, made my level of, of Christianity that I want to make. And I feel like I'm good here. Uh, we don't ever get to do that. Just as in our lives, we always need a sense of purpose, a sense of vocation, a cause for which we're working, whether it be our job or something socially or within our communities. We are called to be workers. Now, I don't want you to get this confused with kind of the Protestant work ethic and that we always need to put our head down and plow our furrow. Uh, this is not a passage about dealing with the poor. Uh, overwhelmingly, um, overwhelmingly in Scripture, poverty uh, is something where we are given very clear instructions about how we're called to minister. Uh, poverty and the poor uh, is something that Jesus is quite clear about, that we're supposed to help people who don't have any money. This is not that. So don't take this passage and use it as an excuse or justification to not help people. When we read passages like, uh, like verse 10 here, um, where Paul writes, anyone willing, unwilling to work should not eat, he's talking about within the Christian community. He's not talking about in the greater society. This is not the place to build our theology of dealing with the poor. Quite the opposite. Quite the contrary to that. It is about us as believers and about us as what sort of Christian communities we want to have together. A couple of other things um, I want to I read. This echoes that. This is from the commentary that I read. 
Those who wish to render anyone unwilling to work should not eat into a rule of law, um, possibly for human care, for one another need to remember that this is not the only word in the canon about how people are to be fed. So this is basically uh, what I was saying about don't build your theology or a mission around this passage. That's not what it's for. So I think I've covered that. Let's look at this idea of, of in 14 and 15 of how we're supposed to handle people. Um, take note of those who do not obey what we say in this letter, have nothing to do with them so that they may be ashamed, do not regard them as enemies, but warn them as believers. I want to deal with this issue of shame. So Paul says, uh, so that they may be ashamed. I think in our modern church, in our modern context, shame is something we want to be very, very careful with. Uh, Shaming other people is kind of not what we're called to do. um, And it's not particularly effective, I don't think. Um, But in Paul's time, I want you to remember what was at stake when Paul was writing this. He's writing this around 49 or 50 AD. Uh, There was no such thing as Christianity. There were people in a certain number of communities who were worshiping Jesus um, in a very new religion. If any of those communities failed, if they broke apart, if they didn't do what they were supposed to do, then the entire enterprise might come crashing down. Today, there are over 2 billion Christians worldwide. The Christian religion, the Christian faith is in no danger of collapsing around the world. Um, And so the need uh, to be real emphatic on these sorts of things within the community uh, is not the same as it was in Jesus's time. Now, does this mean we should have no standards and no rules? Well, that's an interesting thing for us to think about. Uh, Again, let's read this, um, this little quote that I wrote down from the commentary. Verses 14 and 15 challenge the contemporary church to examine whether we are sufficiently committed to the gospel and to one another to confront one another about matters of responsible living. So, this is not the same as shaming people, but it is to say that we should be mindful and we should reflect on the ways in which our community, our body of believers in which we participate, reflects the tenets of our faith. Again, this is something Paul dealt with in his letters. We think of it most famously in 1 Corinthians, where that community had a person in their church who had taken up relations with his stepmother. Uh, We can assume that his father had died and he had kind of married his stepmother. They found this to be creepy. Uh, Paul certainly didn't find this to be moral, but the community didn't said nothing and Paul was pretty angry about it. He was angry because what would people say about this new faith if these were the sorts of people and behaviors that we were seeming to embrace and endorse? In the same way, we in the modern church need to reflect on how we hold one another responsible for reflecting God's love and our belief in Jesus. So if we believe Jesus is a source of love and grace, peace and hope, if we believe Jesus is about transforming hearts, about changing us, if we believe that we as Christians should repent of our sins and confess them every Sunday, then the community should reflect these values and beliefs, and we should absolutely hold one another to a high standard. I need you to hold me to a certain standard of living, and I hope that you feel that same way about me and about your community. 
We want people to hold us accountable, to challenge us, to encourage us to stay strong in our faith, to have values which reflect our faith. One thing that's always surprised me in the church is the tolerance we have just kind of for meanness. Uh, I know that uh, I have certainly encountered uh, other pastors in my life and in my career who have just been kind of flat out mean. That's a consequence of the church failing to hold one another and their leadership accountable. Meanness should not be something we tolerate. Why would we tolerate that when that's not what we believe about who Jesus was? So oftentimes when we think about holding one another accountable, we think of these fairly narrow lists of beliefs. But in fact, there's a certain culture that we either allow to develop in a church or we don't. And what the culture of each church should reflect is our beliefs. So while we don't want to shame people, and we don't want to make people feel badly necessarily for who they are, we do want to challenge people to always be growing and conforming their lives to the teachings of Jesus. And I think that's what we should derive from verses 14 and 15 of this chapter. Simply believing in Jesus' grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card for our behavior. Our behavior testifies to what we believe about that grace. So we should always remember the connection that we have as the body of Christ to the teachings of Christ. So that's kind of my rant on that one. But I do think it's important to, to think about. So the two big takeaways from this third chapter are, first, we shouldn't give in to idleness and just lay around expecting for God to do everything for us. But we also should not make that our theology of mission and how we deal with poverty. Then the second thing is, we don't want to shame people, but we do need to understand that there is an accountability that needs to exist within every Christian community. Okay, let's go ahead and wrap up here with verses 16, 17, and 18. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and all ways. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting with my hand. This is the mark in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. And that's the end. Uh, what's notable here is Paul says he's writing in his own hand, which is pretty fun. Um, and, and something that he does in other letters, we can assume that maybe he's making some sort of mark on those letters so that people know that they are from him. Just a reminder, we don't have any of the original letters that Paul wrote as far as we know. Uh, those are just not known to us. So that mark, whatever it might have been, didn't survive. Um, but the reference to it did as scribes copied down his letters and held them for posterity. And we're so glad that they did. So, okay, we've been at it about 15 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. That is 2 Thessalonians. Uh, just a reminder to you, please, please, please uh, be ready. January 10th, we're going to get into Romans. I hope you'll be there with me and check it out. Until next time, peace. <laughs>